0: Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. You're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. It We're wrapping up L5P week, Chris. Dude, I am so
1: sick of L5Ps. Quit playing. I'm serious. Quit playing. Stop calling me about support. <laughs> Stop calling me for tunes. When it's available, it's available. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's super exciting. You know, it's been a long time coming. It feels literally like a, an, an eternity. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm thankful it came when it came, to <laughs> say the least. So.
0: so L5Ps, we've been waiting almost two years for them uh, to be able to be tuned. You now can get your ECMs unlocked from the guys over at HP Tuners. You can buy tunes at this point. Um Sparsely, depending on who's selling them and, and where they're available as of today, uh, but, but it is it is here. So if you've been thinking about it or considering it, it's finally an, a real option. Uh, we don't have to see you get badgered on the L5P Facebook group for asking what about tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> seen some some hate go on or, over that over the last. Or few months. when
1: the L5P tunes were actually like being presented and videos were getting leaked. Guys are like, oh, that's just an LML with an L5P hood. It's like you yeah, <laughs> fucking idiot. Like, I
0: want I want to meet if you were one of our listeners. You made that comment, please send me a message. <laughs> please send Paul the message. I don't want to talk to you.
1: I mean, I get it. Speculation is always a big thing, and people probably make jokes. You know, it's hard to sense sarcasm and humor on, on, sure, on sure. text. But yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people, and you guys all jump. Not, uh, I shouldn't say you guys, I don't want to, you know, group people, but people jump bandwagons yeah. for sure. You Be know? sensitive and, yeah. to people's
0: snowflakishness. Yeah. like um, man, like,
1: my, like me. <laughs> I wear my heart on my shoulder. Uh,
0: no okay so so this week we've been doing all the l5p episodes we've talked about just about everything to do with l5ps but really where we're, we're aw- the diesel performance podcast was able to kick off with l5ps was gail banks yeah uh so he came on the podcast he did some some over the phone interviews with us i want to see two or three there and then we did we actually went out to the facility and met him we made some videos while we were out there the stuff's really great make sure you check out diesel performance podcast youtube channel if you have not mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys know that we do have a youtube channel we'd love to see you go on there and subscribe and like all of our videos please uh you you can get a chance to see some more stuff. So Gail Bank's talking about uh, swirl and and heads and breaking down the turbo and breaking down the rods and things like that. We have all that video available. uh, So make sure to check it out. But we thought we'd throw this one up to the big guy. Uh, This is the godfather of diesel gail banks episode this is the first one we did with them this is it's like og footage this is where we started our education into the l5p so cool enjoy the show and we'll kick off next week with a brand new episode no more rebroadcasting and uh we'll actually have some great insight for you guys on a couple of really secret topics yeah very cool guys we'll talk to you then Thank you for joining us again. This is Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Special episode today. We're also co-hosting with... Nick Pregnitz. Excellent. Thank you for joining us, Nick. Always glad to have you down here. We have a very special guest. I'm so excited to introduce Mr. Gail Banks. How's it going today, Gail?
2: It's going real good today. Great Friday.
0: I I hear you there. It's Friday, so it can't be all bad, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gail, obviously... um, commonly referred to on the internet the godfather of diesel you've been around diesel performance I think as long as diesel performance has been around there's a ton of stuff that we want to talk to you about we've even discussed breaking up into two episodes because we feel you have so much information to give our listeners
2: well I have 58 years worth so
0: Okay, so a day or two.
2: Yeah, I think the, yeah. the goal
3: here was we did a hundred episodes of a podcast, right? So that qualifies us to have Gail Banks on the show, and now <laughs>
0: this is our this is our capstone. So let's let's do it. Absolutely, Gail. We get every guest started by asking, "How'd you get your start in diesel performance?"
2: Well, uh, you know, it was preceded by turbocharger uh, performance, and that was preceded by supercharger performance. So. Uh, About 1958, I sold my first uh, engine, and uh, 1960, I I built a blown Buick for a boat. And then I saw the turbochargers that that were down at the surplus store on some of the P-38 engines from World War II, and started thinking about turbocharging, and lo and behold, the guys, uh, TRW, came up with a turbo for the Corvair, Around mid 60s, and Olds did an F85 Jetfire. I think they called it, called it with a turbo and water meth injection. And uh, I thought, you know what? This is tomorrow. I want to get into turbochargers. So we did our first turbocharged engine in
3: 1966.
2: Wow. We've been we've been an engine customer. And an engine manufacturer, an engine customer, of General Motors, Ford, Oldsmobile, and others. Uh, by that, I I mean we don't go down to the dealer and buy an engine. We go to the plant and buy a lot of engines. And we've been doing that since 1969. We started, started building twin-turbo offshore boat engines and racing a lot of boat endurance worldwide. So as we moved... You know, towards 78, 79, we were 10 years in uh, as an engine customer at General Motors Engine Plants, Tonawanda, New York, and Flint, Michigan, and uh, Toluca, Mexico, uh, four-cylinder, small block, and big block. And um, they had done the 350 old uh, when Hugh McInnes did his first first book on tur- turbocharging. Uh, The cover photo was the underhood of his Oldsmobile with two Ray J's on it. And of course, he put the crankshaft in the street. They were prone to do that. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it was kind of a huge black mark for GM. They wanted to make it right. So they kind of worked with Detroit Diesel and they came up with a new engine, 6.2 liter engine. And they sent me a couple of them late 1978 and said, hey, Here's what we're going to do for our 82 Chevy and GMC pickups. Uh, Why not turbocharge these and see how you can do against, say, a 3208 Cat, which was also a very popular marine engine back then. Well, a 3208 Cat probably has four times the engine mass or weight.
3: That thing's a monster
2: yeah and you know the the six two they had qualified at 145 horsepower at that point late 78 so they sent me a couple of pre-production engines i turbocharged them and found all the weak the weakness in the six two but i also found that that it would be very comfortable with a moderate amount of turbocharging. so kind of worked with standardine rusa master on the pump configuration and uh we we had uh run a corvette at bonneville in 1980 we're working on these diesels uh we run a corvette at bonneville and went 240 on a 202 record and and that became the world's fastest passenger car so the so guys at that out of the Pontiac the guys at Pontiac were were doing a new Firebird and they called me a late nineteen eighty and said, Hey, we want you to go twenty miles an hour faster. Uh you can do that by putting your powertrain in a in our upcoming firebird, which was the eighty two Firebird. And this was John chanella the stylist, and Bob Dorn, the chief engineer of Pontiac. They saw the article on our Corvette in popular hot rodding, uh, 240 Sporty book was the title on the article. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, I'd love to do that, but but you're not selling the car yet. And they said, well, come to Mesa, Arizona and get, get your Firebird. So just keep, keep it out of sight for the next two years. So we <laughs> developed a Bonneville car, you know, and the Firebird ultimately uh, – we ran it repeatedly at Bonneville through the 80s, but the first time out, it ran 260. I'm talking about a thing where the head, headlights still come up, and the power windows still work, and the surround sound is still there. Yeah, a
3: fully functional we unit. Just
2: did a, we did a twin-turbo big block uh, that was right out about 1,800 horsepower, uh, way more than we could put through those Bonneville tires.
3: Yeah, I can imagine.
2: Not much About. there. We yeah, went up there crazy. and we went two sixty, two way average with the same powertrain. Just it was it was cosmic. cosmic. You know, guys promise you a number uh and by God it ran it. You know, it's just, that yeah, it's, that doesn't uh, happen very often. So
3: <laughs> no, turbocharging really yeah, showing what we it can do.
2: And and we're talking diesel here, so I'll just leave, uh, uh, cap this with The car uh, ultimately ran the best mile of uh, 283 miles an hour. This is 1987. Uh, So that made it the world's fastest door slammer for a decade and a half or so. Wow. And built some guys, some friends of mine, built another Firebird. My engine builder built them an engine, and they went 302, I think.
0: That's so So, crazy.
2: about 15 years later. uh, Anyhow... At the time I got the Firebird, the guys, you know, Pontiac's in Pontiac, Michigan, and so is GMC. Pontiac was in Pontiac, Michigan, sorry about that. <laughs> and um, they're, they're gone. So I got, a, I, I, I got a pre-production pair of GMC pickups to sort support the Bonneville deal. One was a half ton with, with a manual transmission, and the other was a one-ton dually uh, with a three-speed automatic. Uh, I think that was the 145 horsepower. Ooh. So, so first time I hooked a trailer to that dually and went over Cajon Pass, going over to Vegas uh, with the car t- uh, trailer behind. You know, I'm. It's an enclosed trailer. I. It, it took me so long to get up. Cajon Pass to that that big thermometer in the sky there at the top. Uh, it was so long on that grade that when I got to, to the top, I had to shave. <laughs> I mean, it, didn't it, was like, it was like the next day. It's like I went to bed and got up again. You know, it was, took forever. I just I, I just went. I got to turbocharge these, so. Came in oh six six Saturdays in a row and kind of cobbled up uh, all the pieces and got one of them turbocharged and uh, mind you the trucks aren't even on the street yet. Yeah, Uh, this is months behind, maybe close to a year before they were on the street. And, oh, by the way, they kept me in a new Corvette every year up through 1984. <laughs> wow. Because I was, I was doing a lot of Corvette uh, experimental turbo stuff for them. None of it, none of it ever saw production.
0: After 84, so, did you just tell them you don't want to drive Corvettes anymore?
2: No, my angel <laughs> retired. Oh. My angel, at, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I also told them, you know, this diesel thing, by 84, it was going strong, Uh we we came out we we came out the in late 81 one we came out with a turbo kit and exhaust system uh, for the 62 in the pickups and suburbans and um, that went real well
0: uh, I'm sorry Gail uh, real quick I'm sorry Gail what year did you say you guys built turbo kits for the 62
2: uh 70, actually, the one. first one the first one we did was uh, in eighty one.
0: That's so crazy early eighty one. Have you guys ever? Uh-huh. We're all looking at each other, and I'm shrugging my shoulders because I can't remember the last guy I saw with a modified six-two. Like six, the six-five guys and the IDI Ford guys have started to message our Facebook page and ask us to do a podcast, and we keep telling them nobody modifies those trucks. We're not going to do a performance <laughs> podcast about trucks nobody modifies. I had no I idea feel, you I, guys have been turbo charging them for thirty years.
2: You're not old enough. <laughs> 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 so, so the the. the I, that's an envious comment, by the way, guys. <laughs> this is the old man telling you you're not old enough. So I wish I was your age. So the bottom line, though, the bottom line, uh, I still sell that package. In fact, in the NHRA Museum, both those pre-production production engines are there. Uh, one of Mavs. has, I will argue to, to, to my death, we had the first product, the Seminole product, of the diesel power aftermarket. That's so that cool. That was product number one. <laughs> and we still sell it today. I, I, honest to God, about 30 to 50 of them a year, you know, wow. the turbo kit.
0: Who? Who? Yeah, go figure, right? There's 56.2s on the road still? I know. I just, <laughs> You never see them. That's, that's
3: interesting. I mean, we're in the rust belt here, so I, I assume they're still on the road down south and out west. Yeah.
0: California pre-emissions, right? <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> Man, there was no emissions on those. You, you yeah. have to, it can't delete what's not there, right. you know. Right. Uh, one thing, one thing that turbo did—it really cleaned up the smoke. Uh, you know, it gave you some oxygen to to deal with with that fuel in cylinder.
3: Yeah, you got to appreciate just that, just like RFID God
2: intended. By the way. <laughs> It says somewhere in the Bible that if you inject the fuel into the cylinder, you burn it there. <laughs> you don't put it you don't put it into the air and not use the horsepower. In other words, smoke is hor- horsepower you can see but not feel.
3: Preach
0: on, brother. That's, we love that.
3: <laughs> that's that
0: that's our mantra here. I was going to say it's a big topic on the podcast. We talk all the time about you know the the history of diesel performance a lot of time includes smoke equals power and we spend a lot of our time professionally and on the podcast here educating people that it's wasted power yeah, it, like, it's missed potential
3: exactly turbo limited classes have done so much to the detriment of the diesel performance aftermarket by introducing these overly rich smoky tractors and you know when you when you impose these uh, turbocharger restrictions on these classes it's just like you know you set the precedent yeah smoke is power and it's just yeah. not you know
2: Well, you you know, uh, I'm not knocking it. I mean, everybody has his uh, thing, you know, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Sure. So anyhow, the (laughs) 6.2s, we did diminish the the smoke quite a bit. Uh, They were late on coming out with a 6.5, and they were not selling well because in 83... Ford came with the 6.9 Navistar or International Harvester engine. Oh,
3: look out. (laughs) Look out. And
2: uh, (laughs) we immediately turboed that engine as well. And I got to tell you something nobody in SEMA knew anything about diesel. So, you know, I've been on the board of directors of SEMA. And SEMA started in an office across my speed shop back in the '60s, <laughs> Eric Grant's insurance office. So I couldn't I couldn't even afford the dues. But uh, <laughs> I'm, all, all, all I'm saying is uh, this, this 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 whole deal uh, with smoke, this the, the entire thing with uh, emissions and etc. Uh, it, it it is something wherein I think the first statement we made, and I'm skipping skipping ahead a little bit here, but the first record set for the uh, with a common rail diesel uh this being a Cummins, and i'll we, we can get back to this in a minute, but we set a record I think it was in two thousand or two thousand and one at Bonneville. I, I, took, I took a pre-production Cummins common rail, in fact, Banks Power hot rodded the first common rail Cummins ever, because there weren't any in, in trucks when we did it. <laughs> 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 I, did it with, I did it with the guys at the Skunk Works, they're, they're what the, they call the Ole building outside Columbus, Indiana, and um, they were working on the V8 at the time. They wanted me to run the V8 at Bonneville, uh, the one that's now in the Nissan pickup. This is, oh, man, we're around 2000. Anyhow, we ran that common rail, no emissions equipment, of course. We put it in the Dakota, kind of like John DeLorean putting the big V8 in the little Pontiac
4: Le Mans. And yeah, I remember reading about this truck. I was right next yeah. to it on the highway one time, drooling <laughs> over it. Yes, and
0: he literally was telling me a story about seeing the truck you're discussing right now on a trailer, ten years ago, five yeah, years ago, something that. like that. And, yeah. I was,
4: and that's when I first, well, I knew about Banks' performance because I have a buddy with a 1985 6.9 liter Ford diesel with a Banks kit on it, and all he does is still brag about it from
2: 1985. <laughs> he, he needs to get over it. Uh, <laughs> from Gale himself. So, yeah. <laughs> him to get over it.
4: Can't wait to show him
2: the yeah. show. <laughs> so, so, basically, uh, th- this, this they were, they were late, late, late coming out with the 6.5 a guy named John Rock took over GMC uh, he was the general manager of GMC and he calls me up one day and says hey I'm coming out for the international truck show at Anaheim how about having breakfast and I says that's cool so he came out we had breakfast and he told me I got a problem I'm not selling 6.2's and this was a about 1985, he said, uh, the press isn't interested, we're working on a 6.5, and uh, over in Romulus, a guy named Dick Hamperin was working on that, And uh, but we're late, and yeah. uh, they're eat- the, the, the engine plant in Moreno, Ohio, which is the, pre- the predecessor of the Duramax plant. The engine plant, Moraine, Ohio, is down to eighteen percent of its capacity.
0: Oh my God! You
2: don't, you don't do that. I mean, that that means you're bleeding money, hundreds of thousands a day. You yeah. Know? And and he says, I I got, I, we want to be in the diesel business, but at this rate, you know, we're going to have to bail, uh, shut down the plant, buy an engine from somebody else, do something. Uh, he says we need some news. He says, You've been turbocharging our trucks. We we don't see any engine failures. Uh, we don't feel you in our warranty costs. So how about we work together and we we offer a a, a dealer specified option, which is the bank's turbo uh, on the uh, on new the truck
3: six five. Yeah, that's how the no, 6.5 turbo. on the six turbo. twos. Oh, okay.
2: No, okay. on the six twos.
3: Okay. So you
2: could so, get a
0: 62 turboed from the factory?
2: Yeah, we did it. We went up to uh, Romulus, Michigan. No, not Romulus. In this case it was um uh, Marine. North of north of Warren. Uh, we uh, partnered up with with some guys that uh, the Rinky family. They're in Detroit. They they're in the dealership business and uh, some of them were engineers at GM and we found five acres uh, north of Warren, Michigan, uh, and we set up a, comp- a compound. Uh, they shipped the trucks to us from uh, Flint assembly, and uh, we did a full receiving inspection on them. Turbocharged them, put in the instrumentation, you know, boost and EGT and all that. Yeah. And ship, and then we shipped them back to uh, Flint, and and they went out from there to dealers. Nice. So, um, so if, if you want to really get your history correct, the Dodge Cummins is not the first turbocharged diesel pickup. We beat them by a year.
0: Ha! 6'2". Take that, Dwight Kroon. (laughs) I know you're listening.
2: Um, No, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, the Banks turbocharged uh, 6'2", was the factory fit. So, and he let me leave my name on the castings, which I thought was wonderful. It's
3: pretty nice of him. Uh, yeah.
2: In fact, Motor Trend, when they finally came out with a Turbo 6.5, Motor Trend took a one-ton with our system and a 6.2 and ran it off against the 6.5. There's a big article in Motor Trend. I've, I got, a, a, I've got it in my library here uh so that was the end of our turbo production and the beginning of their in-house turbo production at GM. And uh, the 6.2 beat
0: the 6.5. Huh. That's something I never thought I would hear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Gail, I definitely I appreciate your time so much. We're going to take a real quick pause for our sponsors, and we'll be right back to talk about some of the new stuff you guys got going on over there at Banks Engineering. You got it. We want to give Nick Pregnance from Calibrated Power a chance to tell you more about custom tractor tuning. If you operate a farm or know someone who does, we think you're going to like what he has to say. We've been talking a lot about our tractor calibrations lately, and it's for a
3: very good reason. We're helping farmers like Warren Newman of Winnebago, Illinois, realize that upgrading through Calibrated Powers tuning makes sense for any operation where the bottom line matters. And you can get these same results for yourself with our power manager. In just minutes, you can tune your tractor. There's no downtime, no labor charge, like with some of our competitors' products. It's easy to install, but that's not the whole story. Our tractor calibrations work within the manufacturer's powertrain specifications. So unlike our competitors, we don't fool the tractor's computer. It still has full control over the fuel usage and can accurately track fuel usage during operation. Our tuning method delivers calibrated power the message is in our name. For a given fuel rate, there's an appropriate amount of boost, appropriate amount of timing, fuel pressure, pilot injection, and emission systems performance. When you're using our competitors' products that are simply adding fuel to the mix, you don't get those benefits. You don't get the extra boost. You don't get the extra timing. So you run into long-term reliability issues, piston failures, emission systems failures. There's a reason that the factory uses a calibration to upgrade a tractor through the series. It's because it's the most effective way at managing the combustion parameters, period. For Warren Newman, it means operating in a higher gear more than a mile an hour faster and in a lower rev range that's efficiency that you can see in action
1: well, i used to burn over a half a gallon to the acre and now i'm burning about a third of a gallon to the acre so it's made a big change i mean you do 300 acres in a day and you burn you know not quite a quarter, but you know, that makes a lot of difference.
3: Unlike hardware modifications, our calibrations can be easily removed and the stock calibration can be restored with a simple reflash. Our calibrations have the potential to help any operation with a tractor under load, save money and time. Give us a call today and ask about our tractor tunes and see how they can make a difference in your farming operation.
0: Excellent. And we're back with Gail Banks, so excited for this episode. We've been waiting for a couple of weeks. It has. Danny and I have been absolutely giddy with excitement, and we even dragged Nick into it. I've been waiting my whole life for this. <laughs> yeah. Gail, one of the reasons that we are so excited to talk to you is because all of the new stuff you guys have going on over there at Banks Engineering. I know we've all been listening to the podcast you've been on with Adam Carolla and Smoking Tire and CarCast and all of this, and we've taken a look at like your Sidewinder Type R, your road racing truck. Nasty your dragster with a blower and twin turbos, your marine applications. It's just all the stuff we see going on there is so cool. We know with a limited time today, we want to dive in what we thought was the coolest thing. And that's the military contract we keep hearing about. Sure. It it sounds like you guys have cracked so many new kind of little nugs of knowledge here. We'd love to hear more about it. Can you explain kind of overall the military contract for our listeners? And we'll dive in with some great questions.
2: Yeah, I can't tell you horsepower or torque numbers.
0: That's all right.
2: I'll start with that. So, but I can tell you uh, a good deal more. Uh, our our involvement with military re- really starts with the uh, marine engines. Uh, in 1976, we worked with the navy uh, Navy on uh, high output marine engines for 40 years now. Oh wow! In fact. Uh, we, in the, it, before the break we were talking about uh, the Dakota we ran at Bonneville uh, that got a lot of ink uh, we drove it uh, all around the country we, we drove it on the Hot Rod Power Tour
3: I remember that uh, yeah. it was the
2: fastest, most fuel efficient vehicle driving from Wisconsin to Florida that year we had the fastest vehicle on the Power Tour and it was a diesel pickup uh, so the
0: guys. I'm, I'm just smiling ear from ear. I'm sorry. I just got to tell our listener. I'm smiling ear from ear just to hear that. The fastest one there, the most fuel efficient, and the only diesel truck. Yeah. Truck.
4: I, I just want to say I signed, I signed up over 1,500 people at that event at Miller Park, and uh, they were all in the power tour, and it was so cool to get to meet everybody then. And yeah. I didn't get to meet the banks guys, but I, I was there. <laughs> it was very cool. We had a CXT and we yeah. brought from International, and it just everybody was hooting and hollering over it. What, what a know? Cool what thing. was
2: so? What was so cool is when we started this. Uh, Cummins was re- really hurting. That their stock was about uh, twenty six dollars and fifty cents, and normally their stock's one hundred and twenty. Yeah, and um, they were hurting, and they and the guys over at Chrysler were hurting. They weren't selling trucks, and uh, the diesel uh, was suffering. So when I did this. Uh, a guy named uh, john stang who was on the board at Cum- cummins i made friends with him out here in long beach at a diesel talk and he and i were both pre- presenting and you know doing our slideshows and i told him i want to go 300 with a diesel and want to do my streamliner well it ended up being a pickup truck and i'm glad it was uh we then took the truck to every cummins plant and the people, people just went crazy, loving it. We <laughs> took it over to uh, the new Chrysler Tech Center in Auburn Hills and sat in the lobby for two weeks. And it, it was on Chrysler TV, TV, TV every day.
3: Yeah, it, showing it off.
2: About six months later, guys were coming up to me, both Cummins guys and Mopar guys, telling me, thank you for helping us. Sell our engines. Thank you for helping us <laughs> sell these. Honest to God.
3: Well, those things got a good Honest name after that. I mean, that's, <laughs> you want to talk about a humbling ISB. experience?
2: Yeah, that
0: yeah.
2: was a humbling experience, man.
0: That thing's rock so, solid. I mean, it's a foundation. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, like when we talk about diesel performance, you really don't have that conversation without talking about Cummins. I mean, and the common rail Cummins is
3: just a—it's a benchmark. I mean, yeah. it's drivability and yeah, power and, output. Yeah,
2: and I should—I should mention Bosch. I've been doing doing stuff with Bosch. Uh, we we did the prototype turbo uh, work for uh, Volvo in 1976, 77. Uh, they came out with, with their turbo B21 Red Block in 1980. And uh, you know we did the prototypes mainly because I wanted to learn about the O2 sensor. With they were the Bosch and Volvo were were coming up with the O2 sensor and okay they offered the turbo development to me, and I was on it. I would have done it for free to yeah. learn about the O2s. So anyhow, uh, the, that engine that ran at Bonneville in that truck, the Navy guys saw it. So they called me and said, "said can you do a marine version of that engine? We want to do a marine version of your record engine. And yeah. they, they, they were also considering using a Duramax. Now, mind you, it, it was like 01, and they just come out with the LB-7. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't real powerful or real torquey.
3: Well, I remember there was a and, lot of speculation about the integrity of the platform, too.
2: Oh, a lot of talk about the aluminum cylinder heads and right. on and on. And right. So we all met at Southwest Research Institute. Uh, oh, where's the
0: Alamo? Uh what the hell in Texas, that? <laughs> yeah, it's in Texas. We're in Illinois, but hey, anyhow, yeah, wherever the Alamo is,
2: <laughs> the Alamo, that's where, that's where this institute is. And uh, we tore down both engines and laid the parts out. And when you looked at the Cummins Conrad, and you looked at the GM Conrad, you kind of went.
3: For yeah. Kind of obvious, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Plus, we'd already done a proof of concept. We uh, made it was soft. It was a Bonneville and street tune, and, and nobody. There was really no big tuning experience with the engine. We made the 735 horsepower. Oh, I don't know. It was 1,100 and some pound-feet yeah. of torque. Turn so, the engine 3,800 maximum.
3: So we take this Cummins and, experience, and you're so strong on the on the uh, Dakota project and on the Marine project, and we got this military project with Oshkosh. And, and that's
2: where we're going. Why right not now. the
3: natural, like, why not use the
0: Cummins, right? Like <laughs> So real quick yeah could, could I jump what motor is in the Oshkosh? Can you catch us up on that?
2: yeah, the Oshkosh is a, a JLTV which means joint light tactical vehicle. I call it the Jolt okay. uh, for a couple of reasons it, it is a, it's like a Baja trophy truck, only it's military I mean it in its performance and in its suspension. Uh, its ability to go through rough country at unbelievable speeds, it, its crew protection, everything is so much better than any uh, the competitors we had. It's insanely good. Uh, we've done a lot of work. Why the Duramax? Well, we continue to work with the Duramax, uh, even though we designed the uh the Navy engine around the Cummins, we continue to work with the Duramax because their Duramax had so much better total airflow into the cylinders mm-hmm. than the Cummins did. Mm-hmm. Uh, each cylinder, I'm talking about uh, stock versus stock. Right. If you add two cylinders, you add four more intake valves. Right, And, uh, you know, I mean, comparing both engines four valve engines
3: yeah you got a better breathing engine for sure in the v8
2: well and each cylinder break with uh duramax cylinder breathes better so i'm 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 kind of i want to get air density you know uh engines are cfm machines yep uh you change the density with turbochargers and intercoolers and things like that and uh you want each cubic foot to have the highest uh Air density, uh, in other words, pounds of air per thousand cubic feet, is how we look at it.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and
2: air fuel ratio, air fuel ratio is pounds to pounds, pounds of fuel to pounds of air. Right. So I want to get the pounds of air in the engine, and um, the heads are so much better at at that time and even today. uh, What we did on the on the Cummins, Cummins built a engine. I, I, I went back to the skunk work and talked to everybody at lunch on a Friday, and uh, there was 102 people there, and 40-some of them volunteered uh, on their own time to help out uh, with our effort for Bonneville. Yeah. So they put together a pre-production engine, and they put a, a little bit bigger turbo on than they had intended. In other words, it was a 40 instead of a 35. And, um they made 402 horsepower with it, and they put it in a truck and sent it out here. I put it on my engine dyno, one of my engine dynos, and made 405 horsepower, so we knew we were talking the same language, dyno to dyno. Yeah. And Oh, by the way, if you know how to operate a dyno, and how to correct it, and without cheating, they are comparable guys. So we we um,
3: I'd love to have you on another podcast to talk about that, Gail. <laughs> oh, I, I,
2: there's, there's a lot to talk that. about. That's a, that's a great subject. It is uh, a huge
3: but, subject in the aftermarket. Well,
2: it, it, well, then we'll do one. Yeah, we'll right. One.
3: I like. I've it. written
2: a number of articles through the years on on dynamometers. Anyhow, back to the back to the issue here.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we took the head off the Cummins because because i wanted to port the uh head and it had of course the intake manifold cast in so we machined the manifold off and i designed a cast aluminum intake manifold with a four inch inlet and um put the logo big hoss on it
3: yeah i had one of those on the truck
2: you know, <laughs> I, well that's where it came from yep, it, yep. it came from the uh the dakota sidewinder and uh We did the head, we did the intake manifold, we extrude honed a stock exhaust manifold, we left the HX40 turbo on it, put it on the pump and it made 537 horsepower with no other changes. No change in valve size, nothing. We just did the intake manifold, the ports, the exhaust manifold, and ran the same turbo. That's how much better the damn thing processed the uh, air in the intake manifold. So, you, know, you can put the density in the intake manifold, but getting it through the, that and little into the peanut cylinder port. is yeah. another matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> the guys at come and said, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but the, if they're listening to this podcast, they they'll remember this very well. They, they, they thought we were bullshitting. <laughs> so is it okay to say that on your podcast?
3: Absolutely. a fucking Yeah, yeah I,
0: was, I was gonna say we don't have. many <laughs> so, pairs of okay. yeah. We've been cleaning okay. it up for you, Gail, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was kinda, I was kind of I
2: was tinning their bullshit meter. Mm-hmm. So I said, listen, uh, let me do one for you. So we did one for them. We sent it, sent it back. They put it on the dyno uh, with another engine that w- was right around around the same 404 horsepower uh, right about there. And lo-, lo and behold, five thirty something. So, of course, you got to calibrate the fuel to go along with the newfound air. It, you don't just bolt on the head and make more airflow and make more power. Yeah, right. You know, gotta balance the, that you out. You know, but <laughs> but at the same EGT. Yeah, uh, that's two saying ways. a lot. I, I, there's, yeah, there's two ways I compare. It's either at the same EGT, which is old school, or it's at the same. Uh,
3: Air-fuel ratio.
2: Yeah. Using a using a wideband O2 sensor. Right, right. So yeah, we
3: just started getting into that. That's <laughs> the more
2: modern way to make the comparison. That's the unifying comparison. Yeah. I see guys put up stuff. They've dynoed, and they never even discuss what makes these tests equal. Yeah, but right. this great equalizer, uh, uh, A-B comparison is same air-fuel ratio.
3: Same air-fuel ratio. I love how he's brought up EGT right, because nobody, nobody speaks to the reliability of their engine they're building on their dyno test or the parts combination they're putting together. They're just simply, we can make 700, 750 horsepower, but... You know, it's proved
0: sixteen hundred and fifty. I'm pretty sure yes, they proved reliability. Right? They just said it could do seven hundred. It did it. I don't it know what more yeah. reliable you want. Over, you, right? you want. You you it to do it twice. Well, what are you greedy? No, I'm I'm right there I mean, with you, Gail. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and that's well, my, I'm gonna, I'm
2: going to I'm going to give you something that really, really, really makes your point. Uh, when you get on one of those inertial dynos, you know, which are, which is a big roller uh, that you just speed up, and and then you kind of. Derive mystically a horsepower number from that. Uh, (laughs) Dinojet. Did you say Dino Joe?
3: Dinojet. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So we're on the same page. So so the the point being, the sweep takes about three or four, maybe five seconds. Uh, A truck pull, that's a little uh, uh, more, uh, you got some more wave. Puevo's going on there, you're, you're testing your manhood, now you're going to go for <laughs> 15 or 20 seconds, you know? Yeah. Well, let me tell you about my world. Please. That engine we did for the Navy, that Cummins design, uh, it had to go 800 hours at full torque, or full horsepower, wide open throttle, 85% of the time.
4: What? Wow.
2: Eight hundred hours. Where, so don't what, come to me with your four yeah, second or your fifteen <laughs> second run, and talk to me about power. You know. Now, <laughs> hey, I'm a, I, I, I'm really uh, an endurance racer, but I love Bonneville. That that, that semi endurance, you go five or six miles at wide open throttle. Yeah, um, it's and just, then it used to be you turn turn around, and come back the other way in an hour. Uh, so, but <laughs> it adds the third dimension,
3: to, you know. It's the third dimension you know, of racing. It's like
2: my, can my you do it again? My deal has always been, my deal has always been boat racing, and we we raced in the Colorado River back then, a nine-hour endurance race. Oh. So, up and down the Colorado River, thirteen-mile lap for nine hours. <laughs> That's nothing compared to this. This we do a eight hundred uh, hours. A NATO. A... Uh, it, it's called the NATO engine test. It, it, it's four hundred hours. The Navy wanted a double NATO, so <laughs>
3: that's thirty-three you know, days.
2: The block it <laughs> you know about two hundred and some hours in, we tore the top off the block. It, it, it literally the decks are surface uh, separated from the cylinder uh, right at, right at the top of the water jacket. You got these. Horizontal cracks in the cylinders, and the water came in, and the compression went the other way. You know, wow. into the water jacket. <laughs> and closed.
3: So the Duramax so we, that you built for this mill for the for the Oshkosh, this thing holds up to 30, 33 days wide open throttle at full torque, full, well, full horsepower output.
2: We we run a, a NATO on those, so it's four hundred hours. Oh,
3: abbreviated times. <laughs> yeah, yeah 15, sixteen days. Right. Yeah, 15, Fifteen to sixteen days. days right. Yeah. <laughs> right so yeah, our guys, i love the thirty
2: yeah. i I love that thirty three day number by the way, <laughs> yeah, that's and beautiful. oh by the way we we iterated, iterated the Cummins block uh ultimately doing compacted graphite iron blocks, uh two of which I still have here um, and those are brutally good. I don't know that they've ever done that in a production engine, but they're doing it for these engines, really, so hmm. Those are, the engines are, are running all around the world now. Uh, so back to it, the, uh, the Duramax. The Duramax. Yeah. And, the, and the military vehicle. So
3: my first question for you, Gail, on Duramax and the military, every military vehicle that I've been familiar with prior to the Duramax has been mechanically injected, mechanically controlled. I feel like they do their best to exclude electronics from these things. And here you are putting a common rail full electronic setup on a military vehicle. How did you get that past their sniff test?
2: Well, uh, first of all, I did my own ECU, um, which is based on a Bosch platform, but the firmware and software is all us. Okay. And uh, it's as nuclear-hardened as it can be, the, the, uh, the ECU is kind of cool, though, because I, u- I use it for racing, too. So uh, when we first did it, I thought, okay, V8 Duramax, 6,000 RPM, we'll never get there. And uh, so that was our first design, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that. And then, lo and behold, I had a twin-turbo road race, road race engine I put in my Dragster, and we went out and took a lap and and uh, hit 6,300. And.
3: Uh, <laughs> Turns out you got there. <laughs>
2: it, it scatter fired, and I went, oh man. I just. So, <laughs> so now it's an 8,000 RPM ECU. Uh, it'll run one cylinder to eight cylinders. We've run Cummins on it. We've run our uh, V6 uh, VM Matori yeah, uh, 3 liter on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those, those, those are uh, uh, in a, the Badger that Boeing makes. It's our engine in that. Okay. It's a little military vehicle that goes in a V-22 Osprey. All-wheel drive, all-wheel steer, diesel.
0: Just little and, vehicles. Uh, I was looking at them the other day, actually. So we know the control
3: system's up to par, right? Like the ECUs. Yeah, so the rest
2: of it, the rest of it is, you're right Uh the legacy and there's 160 some thousand uh, of them still in service is the Humvee, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and we uh, know from experience they've they've always run six fives, upgraded six fives, not the same stuff we saw in pickup trucks back in the day, but well, not just six fives, even the bigger stuff,
3: the five tons, the two and a half tons. I mean, you just you never see an electronic engine.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The, the whole deal here is we had had to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that to point to was the fact that it, a, a more hostile environment is, is the Navy usage uh, because of moisture and salt and all sure. that crap.
3: Sure, yeah, just brutal.
2: Uh, and the boats take G loads. These are these these are big uh, boats that go very fast uh, through rough water that'll break your legs or ankles. You know, these yeah. are boats you operate standing up because yeah. there's there's no seat that will take the G G number without yeah,
3: busting making your spine you an inch up. shorter every yeah. hit. So,
2: so they have never got my ass in one of them. With, I mean, with them running. I, I had one here for four years, we used for for develop out here on the West Coast, but
3: softer you, water. You'd
2: get some of these. these these navy uh, guys and they're pretty macho they'll beat the hell out of you and laugh in your face <laughs> yeah. so i'll I tell didn't, you I, didn't, I don't want i don't want to ever have that experience
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's what i was going to say i actually got to meet two of your guys out at xdp's event this year and uh-huh. i won't say a late night after the event but a night after the event uh, they were telling us some stories about some of the some of the military trucks you guys have been working on and uh I believe it was Chris was telling me about how he got in to ride and let a marine drive one time. And uh, I'll I'll let him tell the story if you ever get to meet him, but he promised it would never happen again (laughs) with the whitest face I have ever seen like he just saw a ghost.
2: You know, even the side-by-sides that they use, we've got uh, one of them here we're working on to make it more reliable and a little more powerful. Uh, Along with... uh, we also have a Frag 5, uh, brand new Humvee, Frag 5 being, being the best armor level. Ah, uh, uh, yes. And it's got the gun turret on it, too, but no gun, unfortunately. Aww. What fun
0: is that? So yeah. it's not a military vehicle.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. no. It,
0: it's, it's a peacekeeper side, vehicle.
2: Yeah. It's got side windows made out of three-inch synthetic sapphire, you know. It,
0: Daily driver. But
2: it's... Yeah, daily driver. That'll
3: make the neighbors <laughs> think so, twice.
2: <laughs> so the whole thing with those things is, is the marine engine engine kind of proved the reliability of electronics in a hostile environment. Gotcha. And uh, these guys, uh, a lot of military, they work together. Let me let me put it that way, uh, especially special forces. Uh, they have a common ground called JSOC, which is Joint Special Operations Command, and that's everybody, including Air Force Special Forces. And they plan, and, you know, I'm working with uh, JSOC as well as the individual services. Gotcha. So we got the electronics. Uh, you know, they have, here's the deal they have electronics in their comms gear, in their. You know, uh, threat yeah, detection gear, exactly, exactly. And their targeting gear, it's all there. Yeah. Why not have it on the engine? Right. You
3: know? Right now. Uh,
2: the whole deal was getting the guys who actually uh, work on the engines familiar uh, with infield uh, maintenance.
3: Yeah, I can imagine that but, would be the biggest challenge: and, is getting them up to speed on on the diagnostics and troubleshooting, and and then new systems, right. really.
2: And and getting uh, you know about. You know, a military career, uh, 20 years, and you're ready to go. Uh, so th- once those guys timed out that that were anti-electronics, it got easier as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> what about the fuel so, quality?
2: You know, the military vehicles have to run on JP-8 uh, because that is a common fuel. Uh, with high-performance aircraft, high performance aircraft uh, it'll fuel anything. Uh,
3: it has less lubricity than standard number two diesel, right?
2: Yeah, but we we ran the whole gamut with uh, injector and pump durability with JP8. We thought we were going to have to dose, but it turns out, we haven't had to dose the fuel. I use uh, LML block heads, crank all of that. It's it, it's.
3: But you're using. They're, they're not
2: building L. They don't. They don't build LMMs anymore, and they certainly don't build LMLs. I I got the last. Uh, oh, I don't know. We. In, in our first week of July we ran 2100 of them at the plant
5: Jesus
2: uh, and that's that's going to be it uh, for our military program we go to L5P once, once we finish off with those so uh, there's stuff on my Facebook page uh, Oh yeah, we've
3: been the following bank. all that stuff. I seen you post in the in the forums, in the LML uh, forums and stuff. And you know, we appreciate the L5P upgrades because we don't we don't yeah, get I'm the same. Starting
2: to, I'm starting to I'm starting to leak out some L5P stuff. Uh, it's getting. I don't want to uh, ever scoop GM marketing with anything. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, but but. But and, we, have anyhow, private, L- we have
3: some private forums that. GM marketing would never see.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, I think it'll be. I don't. I don't want to scoop the magazine either. But one of the diesel magazines. I'm, I'm going to do a full teardown on the engine, just like I did five or six years ago with the V6. You know, we were running that V6 three years before you saw one of the a RAM pickup. Yeah. So, because we sell the damn thing, you know. <laughs> uh, so we've been running the L5P uh, for two years now. Uh, and uh, it's going to be the JLTV engine of the future. Uh, it is such a massive improvement. And when you say that, Gail, effect. you
3: mean every element of the, J- of the JL, sorry, every element of the Jolt is going to use... L five P you're gonna use the the injection system, the pump, the crank, the rods, the pistons.
2: No. no. The injection remains ours.
3: So you're gonna continue uh, to use your own okay. Interesting.
2: Well ha- let me let me clarify that. I'm sorry. The control remains ours. The injection is denso.
3: Right. Okay. So it's now there's a bank's there's bosch ECU, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm running Denso uh, with a Bosch-based ECU. Okay, yeah. gotcha. That, it, that's way easier to say than it was to do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can only hope that's not because the Denso ECU is that much of a pain in the butt, because I know that's next on my plate when that thing comes out. And uh...
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, they've never made... A new a new ECU, simpler than the the one it replaced.
0: <laughs> one can hope. <laughs> <laughs> no no no, they forgot to put security
3: restrictions on it. Don't worry, this one will be easy. I mean, it, <laughs> Bosch is Bosch, right? But yeah. you can hope you switch to Denso and maybe,
0: who knows? Who knows?
3: Maybe not.
2: You know, all I care about is you know, can I run the the system? And the guys at Denso uh, were timid at first, uh, but then they came around and they uh, gave us, you know, the waveform, They, they what would, their injector uh, requires different driver technology right, right. Uh, than the Bosch injector. So we had to work through all of that. We've got different sensors on the new engine. Uh, different location of the crank sense- sensor. Um, hmm. You know, we do an awful lot of work on uh, vibration dam- damper development, and uh, I know why they moved the crank sensor from the front to the rear, because we see twist in the crankshaft front to rear uh, at certain uh, speeds and loads uh, that's pretty pronounced. Uh, that's so interesting. So putting it at the rear... It, Stabilizes it relative uh, to everything else. It 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 yeah. doesn't make it. You know the the crank twists and then recovers and actually goes backwards and then recovers. Oh. Uh, you've got um, so I tried to hold in my endurance engines engines the the twisting to plus or minus a quarter of a degree.
3: Wow. And, Whereas uh, factory is you
2: know where uh you, you know I I don't use the factory uh last American d- damper the one with the rubber in it right uh mainly because if you run as long as I run at high power it melts the rubber okay now if you want to do it quicker there there's guys that do uh last American dampers for uh you guys to use you know the aftermarket mhm that will fail your crankshaft in a heartbeat.
0: <laughs> but but it's an option. Then, You're saying I can do that if I want to, right? <laughs> appreciate well, your consideration.
2: I, I've, never, I've never seen an aftermarket damp, damper that was better than the stock one. Uh, with the exception of uh, viscous dampers, the old Hudai, uh, which is now built by the Horschel brothers back in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I think they sell them as... Uh, the hell is their brand
3: name? Well, those guys are getting a Uh, lot of phone calls after this podcast. Yeah. They
2: probably will.
3: That's interesting that you talk about the crank sensor location, because on our our Ultimate Call-Out Challenge truck, we're seeing uh, so the 8.3 liter that we started with a foundation, and then the 5.9 ISB, the crank triggers on the dampener, and then on the bigger Uh engines, it goes to the back of the crankshaft. And we were trying to move it up to the front of the crankshaft, but we figured, you know, they probably put it back there for a reason.
2: Well, I'm telling you why.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate hearing that. So
2: we're going to leave it back. Yeah. There. <laughs> There's some wisdom to that. Yeah. So the damper thing, you know, it amazes me. Uh I'm doing a crankshaft article on how you design crankshafts. Uh and then I'm going it, to it'll be I uh KJ was probably going to put it up on their uh website at diesel power. Uh, yeah. In, in, in the next few weeks I'm following with one on these are not commercials these are just how shit works
3: we appreciate I'm following
2: that following with yeah in other words I'm not selling. I'm just telling. Yeah, Uh, which is (laughs) I don't like to get on with guys like you.
0: Danny's going to steal that from you. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. There's like three one-liners today (laughs) that I've seen. Danny's whole body just cringe. Like
4: I'm not selling. I'm just telling.
2: (laughs) You know. You know what, man? Every guy I've ever met named Danny. Just like you are,
0: just an <laughs> asshole. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. I did, we all heard Gail say it. All right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I meant
2: uh, I'm not selling. I'm just telling. He jumped right on it. <laughs> yep. You know. Yep. Are you a selling machine, Danny? Is, is that what the deal is uh, here?
4: I get after it a little if bit. If there was a T-shirt that said selling <laughs> oh, machine, you
2: Danny do, would be man. wearing
4: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of fun over here.
2: So, so, you know, on the L5P, uh, there's a lot to be told there. Uh, and and I've probably used up your 45 minutes
0: here. No, actually, I think we used up your f- – I don't know if you know this, Gail, but I have an unlimited amount of time to talk with you. I think it's not the same reciprocated, (laughs) and that's okay. Not all relationships are. But um, I know that we're doing a second episode, and I would love to get balls deep into the L5P during it.
2: Well, I've got to tell you, I mean, you can slam them. This is is going to be uh, a good go. Uh,
3: well, we'd love to hear that, because on the LML, too, we are breaking
2: crankshafts. <laughs> we are breaking uh, oh, well, all sorts hey. of shit. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you, just a little aside on the crankshaft thing before we wrap this. Yeah. Uh, there's On the forums and magazine articles, I see these guys are breaking Duramax crankshafts.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, i got to tell you something. I did a road race pa- uh, package, uh, carbon fiber pickup truck. Uh, to road race for GMC back in the mid-80s. Uh, pardon me, the mid-2000s, 2005, six, And I kept killing transmissions and rear axles. And I mean, I, I ran every, everything you could buy. Uh, the truck, very fast. Uh, but, I mean, open wheel fast. Open wheel, big block. Uh, Yes. Car <laughs> and, and and I'm not I, I, That's running the same course Qualifying for a three hour endurance race uh, 163 vehicles were trying to qualify Up at Buttonwillow We took our road race D-Max up there And um, We practiced for about three hours uh, With everybody else They were pissed Because our vehicle was so wide And the track was so narrow But we're running a pickup truck, for God's sake. And and uh, out of all those cars, only three of them were quicker than two minutes a lap. Uh, there was an open-wheel uh, McLaren, big block McLaren-injected big block that ran 157s. There was a 10-cylinder SRT10 Viper road race car. I'm, I mean, a pure race car ran 158s and our diesel ran 159s. Huh. Now, their pit strategy was multiple pits, and our pit strategy was once. So that, we could, we could you know, all I'm, all I'm, all I'm saying is, we started fast. the race, and we blew the rear end in the first turn, coming out of the first turn. Ooh. We had a three-hour rear end. <laughs> We'd used <laughs> up our three hours practicing. <laughs> so, I mean, I brought it home, and I said, I had waited for that rear end. It was a big uh, Bonneville Streamliner rear end. I think it had, you know, a quick change.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and it had like a 10, 10 half 11 11-inch ring gear. Some famous guys built it, guys who build quick quick change know what they're doing but diesels have big torque spikes uh they might put out big torque but they also put out big spikes yeah. and that's what that's what kills the trannies and, and the axles so i pulled the engine out of the road race truck put it in my s10 pro stock truck went out and took a lap and set the record huh. and then we you know we fooled with it for about a year we got down to a 777 at a buck 80 and
3: um, I remember watching put it away wrong. now yeah.
2: Cosmic this is the Cosmic part our car number is 777 ah. mm. that's our NHRA number for our driver <laughs> so we ran a 777 put it in the NHRA museum record was pretty safe a uh, year later uh uh NHRDA was running their uh, final race in Topeka, Kansas. And he asked if we'd bring the truck out and run it, so we went. It rained on Saturday, and there was all kinds of cobwebs in it from the museum, and we finally got it all, all the spiders killed and all the (laughs) cobwebs pulled out of the damn thing. And uh, on Sunday, we ran, won the event. We won the Nationals with that pickup truck huh. over a over a funny car, as I recall. And um, guess what our E.T. was?
3: 777. Seven, seven. Oh, shit.
2: <laughs> so it goes beyond cosmic now. Uh, <laughs> we, we put it back in the NHRE Museum where it sits today. Uh, Until it has to fella. run another
3: 777.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? It's been beat. Finally, I think we held the record for three or four years, and finally, uh, young Wade Moody uh, built a, a S10 of his own and uh, ran. Oh, I don't know, 740s, something like that. And uh, I guess he crashed it real hard because uh, he built a dragster. Yeah. And um, anyhow. Much more to talk about, and, and getting into L5P would, would, would be a kick in the butt for me. Uh, so, on the crankshaft story, though... I
3: feel like you were going to tell us that truck had a stock crankshaft in it, Gail. <laughs> sure
2: did. <it is. clears throat> Same in my dragster. Uh, I'm now... Uh, I've stepped it up, because I'm doing a big pin crank. we well, saw about four years ago for the marine engines. Uh, I, I increased it... it crank throw diameter, uh, did a split cap rod, uh, spent about two years with Carrillo, iterating that rod uh, to get one that would clamp down round. We created our own rod bearing size, worked with Clevi uh, as a tool of Unique bearing diameter. I'll never do. I'll never ever do do this again in my life. It, it <laughs> took, honest to God, to get it all all sweet and all happy. Took about three years. Yeah. So and then the factory
3: comes out with the L
2: five P. right? Yeah, yeah. W- but there's no cross pollination. Yeah. The,
0: yeah, they
2: did their thing and we did our thing. And, and until I actually opened up the beta engine. Uh, I had no idea that, that I didn't, we got the beta engine, oh, maybe 18, 20 months ago, maybe more than that. There were no rods in it. It was just an empty shell for me to use for form and fit, you know, to design my outside stuff. Yeah. Um, And then we got some CAD data, but there was no insides. So I didn't know they had a split cap rod, No. You know they don't tell you stuff like that. And <laughs> they Gary, don't send memos Gary out Arvin, and say what's coming. <laughs> you know, Gary, Gary Arvin. I consider him to be a friend. He's a chief engineer on this engine. We sign a non-disclosure agreement anyway. But it, what I don't know, I can't uh, talk, talk about in my sleep. You know, until <laughs> uh, <laughs> you see this thing, uh, it is it is a massive undertaking. Uh Jim Miniker, by the way, was uh, the number two guy on this project. And Jim is a racer. Uh, he, he, he ran a Firebird uh, at Bonneville uh, going after my record, as a matter of fact.
3: Huh. You should give us uh, Jim's number so we can get him on the next podcast with us.
2: <laughs> we can get... Well, I don't know what the hell Jim is allowed to say either. <laughs> but, but, but all I've got to tell you is he, everything about the L5P... That could be strengthened is strengthened. It is GM all the way. The only thing it shares with the previous engine uh, is the bore centers. It it doesn't even share the deck height. The deck height is different.
3: So we got GM fans drooling here. Yeah. They're Seriously, they're, yeah. on, they're on Chevrolet.com or GMC right now, and they're building their truck.
0: I know the hair on my arm is standing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> they're loving it.
2: So so we're getting ready. Uh, in fact, we're going to be sending an engine back uh, to perform and fit in the in the JOLTS, and it, it's going to be a, a fun go. We're building two, two more dyno cells right now for, for the production engines. But I got to tell you, we have got the. uh, We can we can do a show on the L five P if you want to.
0: Well, that's the next forty five minutes, and that's that's absolutely coming next week for all of our listeners. If
4: I had it my way, I'd do a a show with Gail about aviation. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you. But the L five P. I mean, we can go deep into both of them.
2: Here's the deal. Did you see my last, last post on Air Force One <laughs> on Facebook?
4: <laughs> I caught that. I was. I catch all your articles that you post.
2: <laughs> I don't put up enough. I really don't. I, I, I got. I got to get after it. It's, it's just.
3: It's a lot we, to do. We, it's a lot to keep up with. Well,
2: here's the deal. Here's the deal. We spent oh, the better part of a decade chasing. This is Banks 1.9. That was. You know, every business cycle, uh, I, I, I flash myself with new software. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and 1.9, uh, that was chasing and winning the biggest engine contract in the military business of this century. This, and, and I'm sure it's it, impressive. it was. I mean, it's, yeah, a, it's
3: really, a, it's an inspiration, Gail, I got to tell you. I mean, it, as, a, as a small business owner, and uh, I'm sure I don't speak for just myself, but it's, I mean, we see your posts on the number of engines you have, on the projects you're working on, and it's, it's impressive, man. It really yeah, is. I Absolutely.
4: wish uh, I knew half of what you forgot. I... <laughs> <laughs> he got it. Danny got his one-liner in.
0: We can end the episode. I, there, there it is right there. There it I, is. I, I,
2: here's the deal. I haven't forgot any of it.
0: Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh,
4: you're good. That's why you're so, the man. <laughs> And
2: I'm applying that all in Banks 2.0. Uh, wait till you see the uh, charge air cooler stuff we're doing. And yeah. I've got a new instrument that replaces a boost gauge. We can talk about that one day. Yeah. It measures, it doesn't measure boost air pressure. It measures boost air density. Bad.
3: Yes. I love it. I love it. I mean, I think so we, need we need to talk about that. When you talk about O2 sensors and diesels. We need to talk about air density. We need to talk about mass airflow. You know right. what I mean? We need, people right. need to understand what that means. Uh, but
2: there's two density machines or more on most every diesel, and they have turbochargers and intercoolers. Mm-hmm. How good are they? How good are the billet wheels? Nobody has an in- instrument that will measure Thank whether you. or not... Thank you. You know, a screechy-ass uh, billet wheel made in China uh, is better than the than one you took out.
0: It turns out but, Gail Banks is my best friend because we say the same <laughs> shit. And I don't know if you guys knew that, but me and Gail oh, are no best we've, friends. Yeah, you
2: dyno, <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. No, that's
2: but awesome. Good, we're, we're, we'll have to do one on, uh, on boost air density, ambient air density, add bad and manifold air density density mad yeah that, people
3: need to understand the difference of where they're putting their boost gauge and what the motor's actually seeing yeah you know?
2: well, yeah but you go out and you you do all, all this turbocharging you buy all this equipment is how good is it you're making a bigger boost number but what about air temperature right uh you or you're losing boost through an intercooler well but that I spent so happen.
0: much money on my turbochargers, Gail. There's can't no be way hesitant. I have a boost leak. I'm making 37 pounds of boost. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> oh, We've seen deal. this stuff all day.
2: We are going to release the BAD gauge, the, the boost air density instrument. You can know how much exactly you gained or lost. By changing that wheel, every guy on the street will be able to do it. And you know why there isn't another one? Because nobody ever done it, has done this.
3: <laughs> I, I sincerely Honestly, God, hope I, I, I been, sincerely hope I've been, I've people been, care enough to buy I've it been, instead of listening it's to the so Wikipedia. <laughs> <It's, you>
2: know, <laughs> so there's two. We can do the one on the L5P. That's current and interesting. But measure, measuring measuring. Boost air density and ma- uh, manifold air density. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, because everything we do on the outside of the engine that gets air into the intake man- man- manifold, that's expensive stuff.
3: It's expensive and it needs to be validated.
2: Well, I would think if if you had a gauge and it cost you a couple hundred bucks, why wouldn't you?
0: you yeah,
3: know? exactly. So,
0: well, we're going to dive into that. The L5P and a lot more with Gail Banks next week here on the Diesel Performance Podcast. Gail, sincerely, thank you so much, man. I'm so excited for our next next episode together. That well, makes I sure three. as hell
2: enjoyed it. I, that makes four of us. Thank you very much, Paul and Nick and Danny, all three of you.
3: It's been a real uh, pleasure, Gail. I really appreciate it. Have a good weekend.
2: The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including Duramax, Cummins, Powerstroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. If you'd like to contact the podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email paul at duramaxtuner.com or Chris at C-E-H-M-K-E at duramaxtuner.com. Hey, thanks for listening. Your feedback is appreciated. Please rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and by all means, let us know if you have any ideas for a podcast. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Guys are like, oh, that's just an LML with an L5P hood. It's like yeah. you fucking idiot. Like,
0: I want, to, I want to meet. If you were one of our listeners and you made that comment, please send me a message. <laughs> please send Paul the message. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you.